Emergency Medical Minute presents Mental Health Monthly. Hi, I'm Kim Nordstrom. I'm an emergency psychiatrist and associate professor here in Denver at the University of Colorado. And today I'm going to be talking about managing the suicidal patient in the ED. When we talk about U.S. statistics, approximately 132 suicides occur per day, and for every suicide completion, there are about 30 attempts, and the highest rates for adults are between 45 and 54, and then 85 and older. Here in Colorado, we're seventh in the nation for suicide completion, and when we break it down by age groups, we're at second leading cause of death for 10 to 14-year-olds, and the fourth leading cause of death for 44 to 54-year-olds. There's plenty of literature pointing out that people who commit suicide have seen a health professional prior to their death, and it's estimated that over a third visit an ED in the year prior to their death. So how can a busy emergency physician identify and manage the suicidal patient? Well, back in 2019, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the American College of Emergency Physicians collaborated in doing a systematic review that led to ED recommendations for suicide prevention in adults. And from there, they created a bedside tool for managing the suicidal patient. The tool is called the iCare2 tool, and the acronym stands for Key Steps in the Process. So knowing that emergency physicians are quite discerning, let me speak a a little bit about the methodology. So the systematic review was done in accordance with the Institute of Medicine guidelines for creation of clinical guidelines, and the PRISMA question was, in the population of adult patients over the age of 18 presenting to the U.S. EDs for SI or after a suicide attempt, what are the most evidence-based practices for management? A lit review was done, and it was reviewed and graded for methodology, and then recommendations were assigned levels of evidence. From there, you have a full article that goes into all of the recommendations. You'll find that at the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. And the tool that was based on the consensus recs, you can find on the ASEP website. If you look up in your browser, I-C-A-R-2-E, you will be able to find that tool. So at one point I was asked whether the emergency physician should take this tool out for each person suspected of being suicidal. Hmm. I really wasn't sure about the answer to that, and I've thought a lot about it. So let's talk about the tool, then we'll come back to that question. So if you look at the tool, each letter stands for something to remember in the process of managing the suicidal patient. The first is I, and it's identify suicide risk. C is communicate. A is assess for life threats and ensure safety. R is risk assessment. The second R is reduce the risk. And then lastly, we have the E for extend care beyond the ED. In fact, this tool is more of a tool belt with several tools attached that can be used based on need. So let's go into the tool. When we talk about identify risk, so you go into that first piece and there's a number of drop-downs that have you think about to put, I don't know, yellow flags in your mind when you see certain presentations. Is that single car motor vehicle crash, was it because the road was icy or was that a suicide attempt? 
Are those burns, could those burns be related to a suicide attempt? So there are a number of presentations that are listed that indicate possible risk. And then it's also noted in terms of other clues that might help establish that issue. Lastly, in the identify of suicidal risk are several screens that are embedded in the tool so that you can pull them out if you'd like to use a screen. Next is communicate. Well, yeah, right? Communicate, talk to people, but that's they're, they're actually going further than that. It's about creating a safe space and enhanced rapport so that the patient will be more likely to be vulnerable in sharing what's going on. And they give you a number of tips on how to do that. The next piece is assess for life threats and ensure safety. This is looking at pieces of the environment. Is the environment safe? Is it free of potential means such as sharps or cords or tubes for the person if they are currently at high suicide risk? Is there a need for constant supervision? How about possessions? What are the things that really need to be looked for in terms of the possessions? And then what kind of medical workup for ingestion or injuries? And embedded in this piece is the ASEP clinical policy regarding this. Next is a risk assessment. As a psychiatrist, I tend to focus most on this risk assessment because this is really the meat and potatoes of what you need to be doing in terms of assigning risk and getting a better sense of what's going on with the patient. So this tool brings you through the key components of a risk assessment that will help lead to that determination. So what's the current mental state in history? Are there previous attempts? Is there access to lethal means? What other risk factors exist? What other life stressors that might relate to the current mood state? And then, of course, protective factors. Next in this tool, you'll find reduce the risk. In this, if, if you're thinking about discharge being possible, if the person is in the low risk range or even moderate risk, things that you can do to help reduce the risk and allow for discharge include counseling on lethal means. And there are resources, again, embedded in this tool to help you with that. Establishing a safety plan, there are printable templates to help you and the patient come up with a safety plan that is meaningful. And then the next step when it comes to a safety plan that I always make sure to do is to communicate that safety plan and lethal means plan with a close family member or friend, so a natural support with the patient. Either bring that person in the room for all three of us to discuss the plans, or I get that person on the phone. Provide medications if indicated. And then, of course, if the person is at high, moderate, or high risk, consider disposition to inpatient psychiatry. Lastly, the tool talks about extending care beyond the ED. So what are the next steps in place for the person's mental health care or substance use disorder care or even medical care, especially if ongoing medical issues were a stressor that related to the suicidal thoughts? Another piece that's discussed in this part of the tool is follow-up after discharge. I mean, there's a great body of evidence now that shows that communication in various forms, even phone calls or postcards, after discharge has reduced patients' risk for suicide. So going back to that question as to whether the tool, or as I say, the whole tool belt, needs to come out for each patient, I say only if you need all the tools. Once you get more familiar with each piece, it'll become second nature. I suggest keeping it handy, though, in order to have a quick reference and to print off usable templates. Please look for the iCare tool on the ASEP website. The tool is available to non-members. Thank you.
We'd like to thank our sponsor, Health One Continental Division and Swedish Medical Center for their financial contributions to the EMM. Donations from them and listeners like you make it possible for us to fulfill our mission of producing and spreading free medical education to the masses. If you enjoy our show, please consider making a one-time or reoccurring donation to help cover our operational costs and keep the EMM awesome. Click on the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you for listening.